You are what you eat. Have you ever heard that before? Raise your hand. You are what you eat. Truer words had never been spoken, but let me remind you today that spiritually, you are what you think. Physically, you are what you eat. Spiritually, you are what you think. The battle with temptation, the battle with sin, begins in the mind. It all starts and ends in the mind. Thought leads to action. Action leads to habit. Now, there's no man or woman alive that can keep his or herself away from a bad thought. If you've ever had a bad thought, raise your hand. How? Anybody else? We've all had a bad thought. But the thought doesn't turn into action unless you allow that thought to linger. The thought doesn't become an action and the action become a habit unless you entertain that thought. Then and only then can it become a sin. Because it will lead to action. If you keep thinking on something evil, you will eventually act on that. Uh, it gets easier and easier once you do it. The second time's a whole lot easier than the first time you do it. Thought leads to action. Action leads to habit. You've heard the old saying that you can't prevent a bird from resting on your head. But you sure can prevent him from building a nest there. Amen. You ever heard about the stray dog? Stray dogs are going to come into your yard. They're going to come into your yard, but you don't have to pet them. You ain't got to feed them. Because once you start petting that dog and feeding that dog, guess what? That dog is no longer a stray. He's yours. Amen? Same thing with a thought. All of y'all, yeah, I hear you laughing. Amen, I've done the same thing. Same thing with a thought. If you pet it, and you entertain it, and you allow that thought to linger around and you feed it, it's no longer a stray thought. It's yours. We can't choose the random thoughts that come into our mind, but we certainly do choose what we dwell on. You have the choice of what you allow to linger in your mind. From beginning to end, sin begins in the mind. But you know, if only we could see sin from God's eyes. If only we could see our sin the way God sees our sin. Because I've heard people say, man, it was just an accident. My sin was just an accident, but you know what God calls it? An abomination. I said, you know, I just fell into it by chance. And all of a sudden, there I was. We call it a chance. God calls it a choice. I've heard sin called an infirmity. 
Oh, it's just a human infirmity. We all do it. Ever heard somebody say that before? Everybody does it. We call it infirmity, but God calls it iniquity. I've heard people say, you know, my sin is just weakness. I'm weak in that area. You ever said that before? I've said it. I'm weak in that area. But God calls it willfulness. We call it a sickness. I've been guilty of calling it a sin cancer. But what I call a sickness, God calls sin. We need to know what our sin looks like in the eyes of God. Friends, read with me in Ephesians chapter 6. What God has provided for you and I to overcome sin in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 6, is Paul writing to believers or unbelievers? Speak it out. Everybody agree with that? He's writing to believers here, not unbelievers. Listen to what he says in chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, you better take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all you can. To stand. Stand therefore, Paul says, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having put on your feet the preparation, the foundation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all those fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. What we need to remember is this armor we just read about exists because we're in a war. This is armor because this is war. And in a war, the head is the primary target area. Body armor is good. However, you put a bullet in someone's eye and they go bye-bye. The head is the primary target area. A successful headshot always wins. Let's consider a Roman soldier's helmet for a moment. The Roman soldier wore a helmet that was made of bronze. It was very ornate. It was a, a, a strong, a very thick uh, helmet. And anybody that looked at that Roman soldier wearing that helmet could tell that he was Roman at a glance. Just by the kind of helmet that he was wearing. It had a leather strap on it that either held it on his head or held it secured tightly to his belt. And everywhere he went, that Roman soldier either wore it, he carried it, 
but he never, ever left home without it. He was never without his helmet. Now, Paul calls this the helmet of salvation, which means to me that our salvation should be the most ornate thing about us. The fact that we're saved ought to be the strongest part of our lives. And it tells me that I should never go into war without my helmet. I should never consider fighting my enemy without my helmet of salvation. See, once we're saved, once we're saved, people should start to notice a difference in us. Just like the Roman soldier could, could tell that he was a Roman soldier by his helmet. So too, when you're saved, people ought to start recognizing a difference in you. You see, it's not just a different mask you wear, but you become different both inside and out. You're altogether different. And so you should never leave home with your, without your helmet. And you should never even think about fighting your enemy without your helmet of salvation on your head. What does this mean? Well, first of all, let's be reminded that salvation begins in the mind. Faith comes by hearing, hearing and by the word of God. You hear the word of God and that's how faith gets its start. Belief may actually be a matter of the heart, but salvation begins in the mind. The Bible says, Jesus said often, repent therefore, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Can you turn this down for me a little bit, sister? Belief may begin in the heart, but repentance begins in the mind. You think about it for a minute, and you say, you know what? God has convicted my heart. I'm no longer going to go that direction. I'm no longer going to do that stuff. I'm no longer going to talk that way. I'm going a different direction. That is what repentance is. And that change of mind leads to a change of action. Repentance is more than just regretting that you've done something. It's more than just regretting that you got caught. It's more than just self-pity or conviction. It's more than all that. It's a change of our mind, and it leads to a change of life. You're no longer the you you used to be. You're different, and it's all because of repentance. It's all because of that change of mind. And that's so important, we ought to protect it with the helmet of salvation. Changing your mind helps you grow. Every Sunday school class you go to, every sermon you hear, every devotion that you partake of in the morning ought to change your mind about how you're thinking, or maybe about how you're not thinking. So many times we go blindly doing stuff that we ain't got no business. Why? Because we ain't thinking. We're not using our mind. We don't have the helmet of salvation fastened about our heads the way we should. Growth is important. If you don't hear me harping on you reading your Bible, I'm not doing my job. If you don't hear me telling you about the importance of the Word of God and feeding your mind with the Word of God, 
I am a miserable failure. You've got to feed your mind because that feeding causes change. Change in your life. So I pray that I'm not failing in telling you that. Listen to what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.18. He wrote, but grow. Say grow. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Then Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed. How? By the renewing of your mind. You hear that? By the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen to what he wrote to another church. In all these cases, Paul was writing to believers. He wrote to another church. He said, let this mind be in you, believers. That mind which was in Christ Jesus. So we need to start thinking about our lives as if we were Jesus. Because you may be the only Jesus some people see. And if you're allowing your mind to transform your actions, they better be Jesus actions, not human actions got to let the Word of God transform your mind. See, so many churches today emphasize the heart. So many churches emphasize emotions, and they exclude the mind. They exclude the mind. Many equate spirituality with feelings. I got a good message today if I feel good about it. Man, Brother Bill, that was a great sermon. I feel so good. I feel so encouraged. I'm so blessed. I, 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 like Brother Ronnie said, we got to take the I out of it. So much of church should be about the mind. What you're being fed in your mind. What this message is bringing to your mind that may cause change in your life. Good change in your life. You remember last week we learned that daily faith is rooted in fact, not feelings. Sometimes you're going to walk out of here, out of hearing a message, and you're going to say, well, man, I sure don't feel good about that. Many of you have told me that. Man, that don't feel good. Well, guess what? I had to feel bad about it all week long. Amen? Sometimes... Uh, the Word of God doesn't feel good. You know why? Because it causes change, and we don't like no change. But we need the Word of God, and we need to feed our mind, because when, we feed, when the Word of God feeds our mind, then it will enrich our souls, and we'll be able to be used for the glory of God. Some people choose a church by how emotionally charged they feel. Man, I felt good when I left that church. Oh, it was such a good feeling. And feelings are important. But feelings come after the facts. Feelings come after the faith. Feelings will come. But you know what? A lot of people will go to a church just based upon how they feel, regardless of what's being taught there. Some of the stuff I see on TV preached hurts my heart. Some of it hurts my heart because it doesn't feed the mind, it just feeds the feelings. 
We need to be very careful about that. Because for you to live as a Christian, listen carefully, you listen and say amen. For you to live as a Christian, you've got to think as a Christian. And that involves not the heart, but the mind. You've got to know what a Christian looks like, and you've got to determine in your mind that you're going to live that way. If you're going to live like a believer, you're going to have to think like a believer too. So that involves putting on the helmet of salvation. What you are, what you think. You hear that? If, you're, if you think you're a loser, guess what? Probably a loser. If you think you're a born-again child of God, guess who you are? You are a born-again child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know who you are? You're a son or daughter of God. I shared a, a devotion this past uh, Thursday with the police department. And I, I was so touched by Luke chapter 5, where this woman who has been suffering with an illness for over 12 years comes behind Jesus in the midst of a huge crowd, and, he, and she touches his garment. He immediately perceives that power has gone out from him and says, who touched me? She fesses up to it eventually, and Jesus said, daughter, my daughter, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Can you imagine how that woman, 12 years with no contact with her family, 12 years where nobody would have nothing to do with her because of her disease, and the Son of God says, daughter. And I bet her self-esteem went from here to here when the Son of God called her daughter. Who are you? You are what you think. Are you a son of God? Are you a daughter of God? Put on the helmet of salvation. Because, friend, when you use what God has provided, salvation, then it will protect you not only from the enemy, it will protect you from a divided mind. James 1.8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So let me ask you this question. Which is better to do a couple of things really good or a whole bunch of things poorly. Which is better? Do a couple things good or a whole bunch of things halfway? Which is better? A couple of things well? Double-minded means looking in two directions at the same time. Can you imagine if I did this all the time? How, how obnoxious would that be? Looking in two directions at the same time. It's divided loyalty. It's split allegiance. It's multiple goals. It's also, infinite desires. We need a singular focus. 
Because when you're focusing on infinite desires and multiple goals, you're not focusing on any one thing well. You're focusing on a whole bunch of stuff poorly. We cannot be fence-riding Christians. Do you hear me, church? Say amen if you hear me. We cannot be fence-riding Christians. You either need to get on or get off. You need to either get in or get out. You either need to get up or get down. You need to either get hot or get cold. You need to either get with it or get without it. But don't ride the fence. Because eventually, you will fall off. And great will be your fall. What's your choice? You know, a mix of hot and cold is lukewarm. And the Lord Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2 that he will spew the lukewarm believer out of his mouth. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. As I mentioned earlier about if we could just see sin the way God does, we'd see it differently. Man, if we could see the lukewarm Christian like Jesus does, we'd find out how disgusting it really is in his sight. Pope Alexander VII once said to a man, Sir, why don't you become a priest? And he said, well, I just might want to get married someday. And the Pope said, well, then why don't you get married? And he said, well, I might be wanting to become a priest someday. Interesting. Because that's a good picture of the fence-riding Christian, the divided mind, and the double-minded man who is unstable in all his ways. I might could say to you, why don't you sell out for God? Why don't you give your whole life to God? And you might say, well, I might not be entirely done serving the devil yet. And then I would say to you, well, why don't you just go ahead and decide to serve the devil then? And then you might say, well, I might want to sell out and serve God someday. That's what the believer with a divided mind does. He tries to ride the fence. And one day, great will be his fall. The divided mind comes from wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. It comes from not wearing the helmet of salvation. It comes from not having our mind protected from the enemy. It comes from not being in tune with God. Which is what the helmet of salvation does for us. Jesus gave his everything for me. Chad and I were talking about Jesus' last words on the cross. And I was reminded afresh that he gave it all for me. Everything that he had, he gave to me. Does he deserve my best because he gave his all? Go ahead and shake your head yes. 
He deserves my very best because he gave his all. He deserves better than me living my life on the fence. He who gave his all deserves better from me, with better than me living one foot in and one foot out. He deserves better than that. What if he just said, Bill, I'm going to die for uh, these sins, but I ain't dying for those. I'd be in a world of hurt, but instead I'm dying for all, he said. He deserves my best. Do you know who owns the largest printing press in religious circles? The Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses produce 500 pieces of literature per second. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses are very deceived and very diluted. I understand that. They're very deluded. However, you've got to admit, they are sold out to their cause. Do you know who knocks on doors 500 hours before they see a single convert? The Mormons. The Mormons start one new church every day somewhere around the world. The Mormons are terribly misled. But you got to admit, they are sold out for their cause. Friends, I want to encourage you to put on the helmet of salvation. Because right thinking says, Jesus deserves my all. Jesus deserves it all. Every single part of my life. When I was impatient in line yesterday, he deserves that. That time. When we're frustrated at work, he deserves that time. No matter what you're doing, he deserves that time. I mean, you wouldn't be here without him. I wouldn't be here without Jesus giving his all for me. So I don't need to live my life focused on me. I don't need to live my life worrying about things that are under his control. I don't need to do that. I need to free myself up and serve the one who has it all in the palm of his hands. But that only comes with right thinking. It only comes when you wear the helmet of salvation and you realize who you are. You are a blood-bought son or daughter of God and Jesus Christ provided that he deserves your all. But the devil wants to divide your mind. He wants you doing this. Jesus devil, Jesus devil, Jesus devil. World, world Jesus, world Jesus. 
He wants to divide your mind. He wants you to look from this to that instead of forward and upward. Because when he can get you going back and forth, it's real easy for him to trip you up. Colossians chapter 3, Paul wrote, Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He wrote to the, in Matthew, uh, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all that other stuff you worry about, it'll be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek those things which are above. The helmet of salvation will provide you with that. It'll protect you from a divided mind. But the helmet of salvation also protects you from a deceived mind. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to believers, saying this, listen carefully, but I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve through his craftiness, that your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I asked myself, how is it that Satan deceives my mind? He doesn't know what I'm thinking. He's just a created being. He doesn't know what I'm thinking. He can't read my mind. So how does he deceive my mind? Well, I concluded that my answer was found back in Genesis chapter 3. Because in verse 1, the Bible says that the, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, don't eat of any tree of the garden. Did you hear what he said? Satan didn't deny anything that God had taught. He didn't deny God's truth. He just cast a little doubt on it. He just cast a little doubt on it. And then in verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. What's he doing there? Well, he's denying that God's word is true. You know what he's really doing? He's calling God a liar. That's what the devil does. And then in verse 5, he said, For God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be more like God, knowing good and evil. He substitutes an outright lie for the truth of God. Ain't no man going to become like God, amen? So how does Satan deceive us? He casts doubt on the truth of God. He suggests that God is lying about the seriousness of sin. And then he also substitutes his own lie for the truth of God. Don't be deceived. Put on the helmet of salvation. Protect your mind. Protect the thoughts that come in and the thoughts that go out. The helmet of salvation will protect you from a deceived mind. But finally this afternoon... The helmet of salvation will also protect you from a discouraged mind. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, we shared this in Sunday school this morning, where Paul wrote again to the other believers, and he said, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, friends, you don't have to wishfully think that you'll be saved. The Bible says you are saved when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. 
Hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. Hope in the Bible is an unwavering confidence in God, who he is and what he's done. I pray that you have found and received that unwavering confidence in God. Consider this. When a soldier loses hope, he loses the battle. When you lose your unwavering confidence in God, you lose your battle. When you give up on church, when you give up on reading your Bible, when you give up on hanging with Christian friends and start hanging with a corrupt company, you will lose. But when you hang in there, with unwavering confidence in God. The promise of God's truth is you will be victorious. That's the problem, the promise of the Lord. I read about a general and his men who are completely surrounded by the enemy. And the general said to his men, Men, they are on all sides. Don't let even one of them get away. Did y'all hear that? That's the way a Christian soldier ought to view things. We talked this morning in our Sunday school class about perceptions. The perceptions are a great deal. Thinking, how you perceive something, is a great deal about how you will act on it. When our minds are guarded with the helmet of salvation, you will view things from God's perspective, not from human perspective. That's why you must make sure you put on the helmet of salvation every day. Use what God has provided for you. It's so important. Because when believers give up, and sometimes they do, when believers give up, their decision is preceded by wrongful thinking. Somewhere along the line, they were thinking wrong. Somewhere along the line, they got sold into a human perspective instead of God's perspective. They said things like, you know, it ain't no use praying. Don't do no good anyway. And they give up. Maybe they say, you know, skipping church will be okay one time. I'll just stay home and watch preaching on TV. Man, my bills are so overwhelming this month. I'll get to church later. If I invite someone to church as sure as I do, that's going to be the Sunday that I don't come. Y'all said that? Y'all had that happen before, amen? I want you to lift up your head in confidence. Don't live in defeat. Put on the helmet of salvation and know who you are. If your faith is in Christ Jesus our Lord, you are a son or daughter of God. And nothing can ever change that. God don't kick his children to the curb. He don't turn his back on his kids. He never forsakes his children. He's always always there. 
But you'll forget that if you don't put on your helmet of salvation. You'll forget it. You know, someday we're going to trade in this helmet of salvation for a crown of righteousness. Will we wear it? Probably for a short time. And then we'll take that crown of righteousness and we'll lay it at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll say, I'm not worthy. Only you are worthy. Only you are worthy. You are the one that walked beside me every step of my way while I was on earth. You are the one that changed my mind. And my life, my actions, and my attitude followed. Brothers and sisters, I pray you will guard your thoughts. Because thoughts lead to actions and actions lead to habits one thought I want to put in your mind this morning is if you don't have a clue what I'm talking about if this helmet of salvation doesn't uh, ring truth into your heart and into your mind you can know what this helmet is and you can protect your thoughts today this is the time of decision that we offer at the end of every service. And if you'd like to have this kind of protection, being able to protect your thoughts that lead to action, that lead to habits, Jesus says, all I ask from you is you. All I want is you. I've already given my all for you. Do I deserve your all? That's his prayer today. Is it your prayer too? Let me pray for you. Father, I'm so thankful that in the course of our lives, we don't have to take everything the enemy throws at us. Those fiery darts have burned me on more than one occasion. I'm tired of being burnt. I've had it. And I want to stand boldly in what you've provided for me. Pray you'd help me, Father, to stand in the truth. To stand firmly in righteousness. Not my own, but that of Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that I would shod my feet with a gospel of peace that I'd be about sharing my testimony Father I pray you'd help me to take up the shield of faith that quenches all those fiery darts but today I pray you'd help me to place on my head anew in every moment of my life the helmet of salvation that reminds my mind who I am in your sight. And I don't have to take nothing from the enemy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for not leaving me to my own and not leaving me to the world, but providing me with protection. Lord, I pray all my brothers and sisters here would 
know that they know that they have access to this helmet and that they can protect their minds, they can protect their thoughts, and they can do it in the glorious name of Jesus. If there's someone here that needs to come to faith in Christ Jesus today, let this be their day. Let them be protected as we are. And we'll give you the glory for their decision. In Jesus' holy name we all pray. And God's people said,